Well, our listener wants to know, how can I stop feeling guilty about making money when I'm hardly working? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, yes, this is Dan Miller. We're going to be taking care of business. And yeah, the lead-in question there is really interesting. I can't wait to get to that. Do you have tips for overcoming guilt that comes along with doing work once and getting paid over and over? Now, that's the kind of thing we're going to be talking about today. That and more. Got some good news. Some of the other questions we'll be looking at are, what are some foundations that should be in place before making the side hustle the main hustle? Dan, I'm 34 years old. I have no home, no funds, no phone. Can't make interviews because of lack of funds. Well, tough situation. 34 years old. Wow. Plenty of time to recover and go on. Dan, I'm 54 years old, ready to change after 20 years of teaching. How about this one? If we can get to this, we'll squeeze this in. Dan, I did something stupid in 2014. When my wife and I moved for my wife's career, rather than be an employee, I decided to go to work for myself. All right. Well, our quotation for today is this. Now, this is going to be a, a running theme through our questions today. This idea of making money, getting paid for it. What do you do to get in that position? I mean, obviously, it's a position that most of us want to be in. Quotation comes from my friend, Rabbi Daniel Lappin, who said, you get to succeed in business when people know you, trust you, and like you. Well, that seems a reasonable goal. We want people to know us, like us, and trust us. And if we do, guess what? We're likely to be successful in most anything that we do. Reasonable goal. Well, our resource today is for those of you who want to be coaches. We continue to hear from so many of you who have an area of expertise and you think, I'd like to position myself as a coach. Well, are you ready to be a coach? We got a free quiz for you. Just go to 48days.com slash ready 48 days.com slash ready to see if you are ready to be a coach. Well, our business partner today is fresh books. I want to just share a little bit about them before we move into these wild questions that we've got for today. But this is a great time of year to be talking about keeping your finances straight. Now it also ties into what we're going to be looking at today. When you're making money, reasonable money, guess what? You're going to need to pay taxes on that. That's a good thing. I mean, I just filed my taxes this week, like most of you did, I, I assume. Got them out of the way. I don't want to file an extension. I don't want to prolong it. I just want to get it done and out of the way. And in doing so, got notification from my accountant that uh, I needed to make a very large deposit. Well, I had already put a significant amount of money in, but I was prepared for that. I knew we had had you know, pretty good year. And I was prepared for it. Now, did I, you know, do I hate the government? Do I begrudge? Well, you know, certainly I look for ways to keep my taxes reasonable. But wow, what a privilege to live in a country where we can make money, there's no ceiling on it. And having to pay a lot of taxes, guess what? That only happens if one thing happened. That is, you made a lot of money. So if you had to pay a lot of taxes, be grateful 
for the opportunity to pay a lot of taxes. Uh, just I, I can name some names of friends where they reached a, a monumental peak in terms of the, the amount of tax that had to be paid. And it was just a time of celebration to recognize that meant that they had made a whole lot of money. So if you are paying more in taxes than what a lot of people make in their normal income, be grateful for the opportunity that you've lined up for that. Now, to keep yourself straight, obviously, I recommend Fresh Books. It's a way to make that invoicing, accounting, keeping track of your taxes in advance, all set up, ready to go. So it's all there. My paperwork was so clearly put together. I'm sure it didn't take my accountant that long to pull all the reports. Now, a whole lot of things have happened in the tax codes that have changed. I mean, it's monumental. The way the tax reports read are really interesting. A whole lot of white space on there. They've really reduced the amount of paperwork, but um, some things have changed. And as always, things are changing in terms of how they're categorized. We can no longer make deductions for entertainment. We have to move that into meals or uh, marketing. There are other ways to do that, but uh, need to keep on top of the changes. Keep your paperwork in order. Just go to Fresh Books. Check it out. Don't let this be a year where you have things muddled at the end. Stay on top of it. Go to freshbooks.com slash 48 days, enter 48 days in the how did you hear about us section. Now, some good news. And all of you are aware of the fact that there was that horrific fire at Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris this week. I mean, what a, what a tragedy to see that and all the video footage of that where the big spire collapsed and fell down, the roof caved in and all of that. Well, it's a very historic building. I was reminded immediately of um, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. You know, we'd run to the, to the cathedral and claim sanctuary. Nobody could hurt him. Nobody could take advantage of him as long as he was there, a place of sanctuary. And of course, with our barn here in Franklin, Tennessee being called the sanctuary, I have a real affinity for that, how that was positioned as part of the essence of what the Notre Dame Cathedral is all about. Well, when something like that happens, you know, do you just bulldoze it in? I mean, obviously that happens a lot. It'll take millions to recover and preserve it, bring it back to its days of glory. It was in the process of being renovated. But what's happened is there's a whole lot of people who have immediately said, gee, I'll help out. Now, this is where it's interesting to see some people's response to this. Now, already with the fire having just happened just a few days ago, there's over $700 million that have been pledged to restore the cathedral to its former glory. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, it's just a building. You know, don't worry about it. Let's use the money in other ways. Well, it's got a lot of sentimental meaning and certainly has a lot of spiritual significance and the history of faith through the, the years. So whatever your thoughts are about that, I want to tell you some of the people who have, who have already pledged money. The chairman of Gucci, obviously we know how they're making money, selling fashion things. They've donated $113 million to the cause. Family behind the luxury goods company LVMH has pledged $226 million toward it. Uh, the Betancourt family of L'Oreal Cosmetics has announced their own $226 million donation. 
And then um, the city has a $90 million fund that they can tap into to use for restoring that. So it looks like there's a whole lot of money that has been put together already where people are willing to restore that magnificent structure, bring it back to its glory. Now, there have been comments online, as you might expect, that, wow, if people are that really willing to tap in and give money, why don't they address some of the other concerns in the world? Well, be that as it may, it's a different kind of thing. It's not an either or. Those people are probably generous in other ways as well. I remember one year, time years ago hearing Robert Shuler the former pastor of the Crystal Cathedral in California, saying it's easier to raise a million dollars for a new fountain in front of the kitchen than to raise $800 for a new dishwasher in the kitchen. I think I said that wrong. It's easier to raise a million dollars for a new fountain in front of the church than to raise $800 for a new dishwasher in the kitchen. But people get excited about a big cause, something that's really exciting. And being part of restoring the cathedral, you know, people can take a lot of pride in that. And I'm delighted that people have stepped out of the plate. It'll be interesting to see that. And the mayor is anticipating it'll be a five-year project to restore it. All right. Well, here's let's go to something related to our work world here. And this is, we're seeing a lot of companies that are experimenting with a four-day work week. Now, this turns out that it's pretty beneficial. Now, certainly companies are not going to do this unless it really makes sense to the bottom line, and they're figuring out that it really does. There's a New Zealand company that has been test driving a four-day work week, Perpetual Garden Financial Services. They found that it was so successful, they now are moving all of their workers to that, are giving it as an option for all of their workers to move to a four-day Day week. Now, this doesn't mean that they're sque- now. Some companies are allowing a four-day week as long as you still get in forty hours. I mean, that's pretty common. But there are companies that are just saying we don't even need forty hours. Now, think about how our work has changed. It's not where most people are standing on a line putting parts together, where one hour of work equals so many parts that come out the other side. If you're doing graphic design or if you're doing customer service or if you're doing computer programming, I mean, there's a lot of things that don't relate directly to hours spent equals productivity. I mean, I have a friend who is uh, in our coaching mastery program and as part of his wanting to build his coaching program. Now he's director of personnel at a company that has 400 employees. He proposed to his boss that he start working four days a week. He said, you know, I really don't need to be here that much time, four days a week, I can adequately continue to do everything I'm responsible for. And his boss agreed to it. But we're finding that if people decrease their hours, I mean, who decided that we needed to work 40 hours a week? I mean, obviously, that was pretty arbitrary, put together by back when we did the industrial age when people were working in factories. We're finding that people who work less actually can increase their productivity. Now, it's funny. I've I got one thing here I want to, here's, here's what they found. Now they found that, you know, decrease in hours can really increase productivity. If people put in 45 to 59 hours, there's a decrease of productivity and people go over 60 hours. There's a really noticeable decrease in overall productivity. The magic time is, you guessed it, 48 hours per week. Worker output drops once people clock in more than 48 hours a week. So that's an easy one to remember. 48 hours a week, hey, that's a reasonable time frame, reasonable amount of time to work, whether you're working for a company or working on your own. 
Now, this brings it tied another issue that just is kind of interesting, and that is we we think that if we work enough, then we're going to get to where we can just retire and not work. Well, we've seen problems with that, and we have to realize retirement wasn't put in place just to reward people for a long season of work, and now you don't have to do anything at all. No, it was to... It was put together as a solution for unemployment. Now, this happened back in 1870 when Otto von Bismarck determined that Germany needed to industrialize, that the way of the future was building factories, employing workers. And what they found is that there was a lot of unrest in young potential workers because they didn't have work to do. So they put together this plan to eliminate the older workers, get them out of the workforce to make room for younger workers to come in. Well, that's not an issue today. Unemployment is extremely low. We don't need to make room for young workers. There's plenty of room there for them. So again, just one of those um, chinks in the armor of the idea that we've got about retirement going away. Well, I want to move into our questions. I want to start right off with this question from Heidi, who talks about passive income guilt. Now, listen to this. This is, this is a theme And if you don't remember anything else from today's episode, I want you to remember some of the points here that we're going to touch on in response to Heidi's question. So Heidi says, Dan, do you have tips for overcoming guilt that comes along with doing the work once and getting paid over and over again? I'm struggling with some guilt and feeling like I don't deserve the money earned from my blog as I don't actively work on it, but it still brings in money. This year, my site is on track to make more money with doing very little work than people who work full time. I feel like I'm holding myself back and making more from my blogging because of this. Now that what she's saying is I'm holding myself back from what I could do that would be more productivity and making more money because I feel guilty about what I'm already making. Any tips? I think I just need to reframe it in my mind. My site does help over a million people a year. So I suppose it shouldn't matter that the article that helped them was written four years ago. Thanks, Heidi. Wow. Heidi, you touch on so many issues in what you're, what you've laid out here as your question. So let me just kind of unpack it a little bit. Now, now some of the things that I have as my own basic beliefs in this have come from the book, Thou Shall Prosper by Rabbi Daniel Appen. And Heidi, I'm going to send you a copy of that. I want you to have a copy of that. I don't know of a better source for you to reframe your thinking than that. I've got a couple extras here in my office, so I'm going to send you a copy of that. But here's the issue. Incidentally, there's a a short audio recording that Christy Wright, who has Business Boutique with Dave Ramsey's organization, where she interviewed Rabbi Lappin, and it was exactly about how to stop feeling guilty for making money. I'll put a link to that, directly to that audio, that little audio clip, where you can listen to that, how to stop feeling guilty for making money. But here's the issue. If you believe that making money is bad, and, and it really comes from believing that there's a zero-sum game of money, meaning if you get some, it must mean that somebody else is going to get less. If you really believe that, you're going to have a hard time being very successful in business. Now, we have to realize, you know, poverty is not virtuous. Sometimes we get confused in our thinking. We think, oh, the poor people, you know, they're so virtuous. They don't have anything. Well, why is that virtuous? I mean, God doesn't love 
poor people more than he loves rich people. Oh, I remember one time, this was years ago, when I had a mastermind, a small mastermind with Dave Ramsey, and we invited Rabbi Daniel Lappin to come in and sit with us. And one of the questions we asked was, does God want us to be rich? Here was his response. God wants you to be obsessively preoccupied with the needs of others. And he stopped right there. How can that be an answer to does God want us to be rich? God wants you to be obsessively preoccupied with the needs of others. Well, it's clear in his mind, if we really are doing that, if we really are helping and serving other people, guess what? A lot of times that leads to being wealthy. Now I see that in the Jewish community, the way that they serve each other and exercise biblical principles and tend to have an extraordinarily high proportion of them who are wealthy. Now, to be virtuous as a poor person is pretty easy. I mean, you don't have a lot of options, so you you ought to be able to make the right decisions. But as a wealthy person, you have to be intentional about being virtuous. Now, here's another thing that just kind of breaks my heart. You know, when a culture becomes more socialistic, now we're, we're hearing a lot from politicians again, and the whole thing is cranking up for, you know, elections that'll come around in a couple of years. When a culture tends to become more socialistic, we get the feeling that the underdog always has to be protected and helped, and the people who are doing well need to be brought down. I mean, when did we get the idea that having money means you've taken it or somehow taken advantage from those who are less fortunate? But it's a totally whacked idea to think that. I mean, why would we assume that the that poor people are more virtuous, that they're victims, that they did nothing to create or contribute to the situations they're in? I mean, don't we believe that we live in a free society where our decisions lead to the kind of results that we get? And if we don't like the results, we change what we're doing to change the results we're getting. Well, and if you're in poverty today, it's pretty likely because you made some bad decisions yesterday. And the counterpoint, if you're making great money today, it's because you made some good decisions in the past. My goodness, man, I've certainly experienced that. Times when I've been in a total financial disaster. And then I look back and think, how was I so stupid as to make those kind of decisions that I did? Kind of a direct line there. Well, so charging somebody... A fair price for a product or service is not something for which you should feel guilty. I mean, you've really just honored them by allowing a fair exchange, and you've added to their sense of accomplishment, healthy self-esteem by having them pay for it, rather than the shame and embarrassment that comes from knowing you're getting a handout. I mean, look at the programs that we've got here in the United States where we give and give and give, you know, thinking that we're helping people, and we create dependency. We create shame and low self-esteem rather than trying to equip those people so they can do something productive. I mean, people sometimes assume profit equals greed. And then we talk about giving back with the implication that being profitable has required an unfair extraction of money from people who didn't want to give it. So we hear companies say, well, now we're going to give back because we were so, wow, you know, I cringed that term. Because an ethical business, and there's lots of them out there these days, I mean, everybody wants to be green and socially responsible and do good for others. 
We see companies like Tom Shoes and others at Pura Vida that pop up have a really clear model for giving from day one. But any good company does that. I mean, any good company from day one gives back in multiple ways. I've got some guys out here in our yard right now, you know, doing yard work. Is my Does the guy who owns that company, is he just some, you know, greedy capitalist? My goodness, he does a really great job of employing people and giving them an opportunity in what he does. Does he cheat me by charging me for making my yard beautiful? That's not the feeling I get. I don't cringe at all at paying him. I love what he does. He takes extra pride in making our place really beautiful. It's not just come and do the job and leave. You know, they, boy, they blow the, cut grass off even areas of dirt around the trees and things. I mean, they just do extra things to make it beautiful. I mean, what a great service to be able to do that. Well, as Rabbi Daniel Appen says, being profitable is a measurement of how effectively you're serving God's children. I mean, how do you like that as a phrase? Being profitable is a measurement of how effectively you're serving God's children. You get to succeed in business when people know you, trust you, and like you. Now, really, the best way to serve people, if you really want to serve people, don't look for a job at a nonprofit. Start a business. Go into business for yourself. Find out how you can help people the most and then create an economic model for doing that. I mean, we don't diminish ourselves by being paid. We elevate ourselves by sharing the absolute best gifts God has given us. If you hold your head high and charge for what you offer, you set yourself up to help and serve more people. Conversely, and Heidi, this is really you know, close to home. If you're embarrassed or ashamed about your business and the income that you're making, you set yourself up to fail. You will destroy what you have if you really feel guilty about making money and doing that. And now, now in the Jewish hierarchy of charity, it regards lending someone money to go into business as a more noble than simply giving him the money. Now, if you just simply give somebody the money, it condemns that recipient to be a beggar without enough self-respect to do something on their own and take care of their own needs. However, lending money to a needy person elevates him into an independent business person. His dignity is preserved. He has a chance to then help others. That's why I get excited about Kiva.org. I mention that frequently here, that I put in a little money several years ago, and I just reinvested. Those people get little micro loans to start their businesses, and then they pay those back, and the money comes back in like 99% or something ridiculous. And I have the privilege of just simply loaning it again. You know, so here's a guy that wants to start an auto mechanic business, and so I loan him $50 through my little fund or whatever, and he pays that back. I mean, what a cool thing to help people stand on their own by giving them a start in that way, rather than, oh, you're hungry? Well, here's free food for the month. I mean, what does that do to ultimately help a person? Well, one of the things, too, and this I heard my friend Jim Cochran say one time, but being profitable means I get to continue helping people without asking for donations. That's what it means. I don't apologize about being profitable. It means I get to continue helping people. I had a young gentleman come in yesterday, coming through town and wanted to spend an hour with me. We did. He was extremely distraught about where he is, extremely successful in terms of 
making money, but feeling like there's no life behind that. I mean, th- that's what I do is work with people to work through those kind of existential issues, that kind of spiritual void. How can I have a life of meaning in addition to just making money? Well, those things need to go together. And for me to be able to do that, people pay me. If I did that and just help people by doing it as a favor, all of a sudden there'd be no food in the refrigerator. We wouldn't be able to help other people. We wouldn't be able to do the kind of things that we do and continue serving family, friends, and others who are in in need. Well, I am going to send you that copy of Thou Shall Prosper. I think that'll really help you dig into that, go through it. I love your question. I, I know that it resonates with a lot of listeners, this idea of making money, especially in today's environment, where a lot of times we put something in place once. I love your concept of doing something once and getting paid four years later. Wow, what a cool concept that is. I mean, that, those, are, those are exactly the kind of things that I look for. I'm not very attracted to things where I do it once and get paid once. That's linear income. And we know that even physicians, attorneys, dentists get locked into that kind of model. They do something once, get paid very well, but once and done, that's it. I look for what is it that I can do once and get paid a thousand times. I mean, obviously writing books have allowed me to do that. We have other things, you know, our online community, that's ongoing. I mean, I don't have to create something new every month or deliver something new. It's a community where I give people an opportunity to share their ideas and resources together. So 48 Days Eagles, that's what people do there. And it allows me to benefit from something I started a couple years ago and now building momentum in addition and not requiring any more of my time. Those are good things, good things, good, good, good things. I commend you on having something in place that's giving you a, a glimpse of that. And I encourage you to do exactly that and more, much more. Well, this question comes from Daniel, who says, August of 2017, at 35 years old, I was at a place in my life where I needed to try and map out the next five to 10 years of my career. As an operations manager, I'd been doing the same daily task at my job for a few years. You know, I needed to continue to grow. I thought I could move into sales, but was I wrong? Goes on, tried some other things. At that point, I tried to tackle resume and coaching services to figure out what wasn't working was a presentation experience. That's when I was introduced to the 48 Days book. It really made me want to go out and take charge. Your book, coupled with unexpected death of someone my age, led me to realize that I was being too passive and I needed to be more intentional and consistent about reaching my goals. So uh, I started, let's see, I'm going to skip down here, started selling lighting fixtures, lamps, product bulbs, um, directly to customers. So we update to 2019. At this point, the business has grown to about eight to 10 recurring clients. Revenue has replaced a little over half of my monthly income that I receive with my nine to five work. Your book, along with the weekly podcast is a great motivator. I always hear something applicable to where I am in this journey. You have helped expand my thinking. I'm no longer looking for another company to hire me in sales. Thank you very much. My question is, this is Daniel's question. What are some foundations that should be in place before making the side hustle the main hustle? Is there a cash equity amount of business should have in savings? Well, great question. And yeah, I've got some real clear guidelines on that. And you're right on target with that in that when we look at how can you spend that 15 hours a week that we talk about so much in a side business that you got going on, if you can get that your efforts in that 15 hours to where it's generating 50% of your current income. Wow. 
To me, you're home free. That's a no-brainer. At that point, surely you recognize that if you took the 40 hours you're dedicating to a regular job now and devoted that to your side hustle, you could easily make up the other 50% gap and move on. So you're, you've done exactly what I recommend as having the foundation in place for then being ready to make the complete switch. Now, I'm, I'm going to send you a copy, Daniel, of No More Mondays, because in that I address exactly what you're talking about, how to take an idea and grow it and then get to the point where you can make a full transition. Most of the people in the 40 Days community are looking to build a side business, if not to move into full time doing something on their own. Now, we don't recommend that for everybody, not necessary, but people are in, on that spectrum in some way. So everybody is working on developing an idea. So when I wrote 48 Days to the Work You Love, right at the very last of that, the very last chapter, I said, you know, you may not want another J-O-B. You may be tired of being vulnerable and losing your job every two or three years. If for a lot of you, there are some other ideas you'd like to explore, and thus it set the groundwork for my next book, which was No More Dreaded Mondays. So that's where I said, all right, if you are one of those people, here's how to take an idea. And I have tons and tons of examples in there, real examples of what people have done, and then the principles for how you can do that, along with what we're talking about here, how to generate that 50% of your income, and then be ready to make the full move over. That's what we look for. Well, hey, just a short, quick reminder here that if you want to, I appreciate the generosity of you all sharing your questions with me, man. That's what gives me the rich opportunity to share here every week as we do and go through these, giving hope and encouragement to others who are listening. But I appreciate the questions that come in. So if you got a question that you want to share with us, and I pick out questions that uh, are applicable individually, but also have a broader scope of application typically. But um, if you got a question, just shoot it in to askdan at 48days.com. You can also go to any place on the 48days.com website, and you'll see a little microphone. You can just click on that and, and leave an audio message if you would prefer to do that. Now, this comes from Alex. You're saying, oh, this is pretty tough. Really don't know why I'm sending this, but something told me after listening to your podcast that I should. Bill Withers just spoke to me. Now, Bill Withers is is the guy who I mentioned once in a while. I played the little clip, Lean On Me. That's the song he's most famous for. Lean on me when you're not strong. And he, anyway, he says, you know, it, it, so the song is we all need somebody to lean on. And Alex says that spoke to him. Recently, I've been in an accident that sent me into oncoming traffic, which thankfully I wasn't harmed, but unfortunately left me unable to drive. I've been humiliated, shrunken to feeling like I was merely an inch tall, no home, no funds, no phone, can't make interviews because of lack of funds. Now my insurance has been canceled, my license, license suspended. Fortunately, I haven't lost my drive. I won't give up. I put over 100 applications and some have been turned down because of driver's license, the ability to make phone calls. I'm 34 years old. I know there's much time ahead of me and I'm not giving up. I've worked literally every job since I was 12 years old. I know I, I haven't stopped, won't stop until I've created the future I've envisioned. I have a lot of potential for building opportunities for others. I have a great joy for seeing the potential in others and helping them achieve their success. I've seen many unfortunate events in my life and I've always persevered. I know soon I will shine again. 
there's any insight you give to better my future, I would be all ears. Well, Alex, man, I grieve at the situation you describe, but I'm also optimistic because of the mindset that you describe. If you're saying, no, this is unfortunate, you know, I'm blaming the government, the company, the neighborhood, the church, whatever, you know, and now I'm totally messed up and have no options. That would be one thing. But you say, no, you know, you're only 34 years old. You've got a lot of time ahead of you. And you know, there's, you've got a lot of potential. You enjoy seeing the potential of other people with that attitude. Nothing can keep you down. You cannot stay in that position for long. Now, if you can't drive, you can't go to interviews, jump online. We have resources. Recently, we gave a whole list of resources more and more. It's becoming so common to work from home. I mean, if you just have internet connection and a little laptop, you, there are a lot of things that you could do. You know, so you can start with that. Now, hopefully you're in good enough shape. You said you weren't hurt physically. So I'm not sure why you're not able to get out or able to drive or why your license was taken away. Anyway, complex. I mean, here's, here's the thing. We tend to spiral down in all areas or up in all areas simultaneously. Now, here's an example. Let's say somebody loses their job. No fault of their own. It wasn't irresponsible or anything, but just it happens. We know it. It just happens. So somebody loses their job. Well, they get the pink slip on Friday afternoon. So Monday morning, I think, ah, pretty tough to get out there. You know, I'll give myself a few days off before I get out there and hit it again. So all of a sudden, two weeks pass. And on Monday morning, they're sitting on the couch, you know, eating Pringles, watching Seinfeld reruns. So what's happened? Finances are in bad shape. It led to self-esteem challenges, physical compromises, start to eat more junk food, put it on weight, lowers self-esteem even further, probably a strain on relationships. And all of a sudden we see all these things start to spiral down. Well, when you are down, you have to recognize you need to be making deposits of success in all those areas. So make it a point to volunteer. I mean, get out and do something physically. I mean, go to the Y. You can go to the rec center here where I live for three bucks. You know, go in and take a shower. If you don't have a place to live, you can go in and come out smelling like a million bucks, you know, and feeling good about yourself. But do think, you know, don't just eat more junk food. Be really focused on what it is you're doing to stay healthy. Now, here's what I've observed. That to come back from failure, and I've seen this a lot, to come back from failure, a person must have these five things, loving relationships, uncompromising integrity, clear purpose, vibrant health, optimistic faith. Now, those are not in order of importance. I suspect they're all equal in importance, but those are the things that I think you really ought to have. So focus on those, loving relationships, uncompromising integrity, clear purpose, Vibrant health, optimistic faith. Now, I didn't say you need to add another degree to your resume or you need to have 10 years of proven work experience, you know, or an IQ above 130. You know, none of those things. Those aren't the things that will cause you to rise again. But you can come back, Alex. Keep us posted on your journey. We're here rooting for you. And uh, I'm confident that with your mindset, you can do exactly that. Tim says, Dan, I'm a former teacher of 20 years at the high school level. I'm looking for a change as I transition to the next phase of my working life. I'm 54 years old, open to just about anything. 
I've been listening to your podcast. I'm intrigued by much of what I hear. Any suggestions or ideas would be welcome. Well, Tim, you're not alone. There's a whole lot of teachers who are deciding after even fewer years than that, that they want to move on or just simply recognizing this is not what I signed up for. You know, I care about kids. I want to encourage them, you know, be their friend and motivate them. And now, my gosh, I got to be a policeman to survive in a classroom. No support from administration, criticism, no support from parents. I don't want to do this anymore. Go back and revisit. This is where you have to be clear on your calling. Calling, purpose, mission, destiny, those things are the big picture. That's the big picture. Then career is simply a subset of that. So if you really want to help kids learn and grow and survive and thrive, all right, that, that can go back and revisit that. Then if you look at teaching in a public high school classroom is one application, certainly it is, but it's only one. There are thousands of things you could do. There are people who are coming out of teaching like that who are initiating, facilitating training programs in corporations. So you could go into a company and do that. You know, if you really do have an affinity for kids, you might be a tutor for homeschooled kids where you get together five or six on two days a week and just work with them and make more money than you are making as a full-time teacher, but be really focused on kids who are highly motivated where there is parental support. I mean, things like that. I mean, you could decide that you're going to teach, but rather than just in a high school like you have been, you're going to teach in a, a small teaching learning environment in Acapulco with the children of IBM employees who are there and just start to make a list of the possibilities that would flow out of your attraction to teaching. This is probably not a time to just throw the baby out with the bath. It's not a time to just say, okay, you know, teaching, I don't want to do that anymore. So I'll go drive, you know, drive a UPS truck. Now, certainly you have an opportunity to make that kind of monumental change if you want, but if you really have been attracted to teaching for that much time, there's so many applications for things you could do that would leverage your desire and your competence at teaching and take you right off from there. All right. This comes from Jeff who says, Dan, (laughs) I chuckle when I read this. I mean, my goodness, how many times have I walked down this path? He says, Dan, I did something stupid in 2014. Okay, that's what, five years ago. When my wife and I moved here for my wife's career, now he's coming from Texas, he says, when my wife and I moved here for my wife's career, rather than be an employee, I decided to go to work for myself. Not having any significant amount of money and savings, I used my 401k. I rolled it into a self-directed 401 and purchased a small business. The business has not done very well at all, has decreased in value from what I paid, paid 180000 Now it's worth less than 50000 Yes, I overpaid for the business. It has shown minimal to no profits each year, paying me less than what I can make back in the workforce. I'm considering selling. If I sell, I lose most of my retirement. If I continue the business, I make minimum wage, but continue possibly increasing the value to sell for a higher amount in a few years. All right, Jeff, boy, there's a, there's a lot of tough, tough issues embedded in there. The, the, the first thing, I, I want to commend you on what you did. I mean, I don't think it was a mistake at all, what you did. You, when you go through an experience like this, there are only two outcomes. 
Either you win or you learn. That's it. There's no losing, failure, any. either you win or you learn. You are so much smarter now than you were five years ago when you went into this. Meaning you can make way better decisions now because of all the information that you have at your disposal. So you've got that going for you. So should you continue in a business that's failing, that you're being paid minimum wage? My answer is no. I would not do that. If you've seen a decline over even the last year, let alone five, where this isn't profitable for you, I wouldn't continue it. Now, here's part of the deal. We're talking about significant, certainly, amount of money. You took out 180000 out of your 401k, and boy, I know the tax consequences of that are brutal. But uh, well, we, you gotta, that's a side issue because that's inevitable. you got to deal with that anyway. But $180,000. If you continue in this for another five years and you're making minimum wage, you really have just pursued your way down into the rut. That's not a positive option at all. If you took the loss right now and just said, okay, I made a mistake, that's gone. I need to start something new, something that I know can be profitable based on what it is that I know now. I can make a better decision about what business to go into. And next year I can make $150,000. Well, that's a way better choice than just continuing at the bottom of the barrel in a business that's not working. Draw a line in the sand, say, I'm not going to do that anymore. Now, what we're talking about here is a concept called sunk cost bias. Sunk cost bias. Here's here's an example of that. If I buy a pickup truck, and let's say I pay $3,000 for it, and golly, the first week the alternator goes out, that's 400 bucks. Well, yeah, I need to go ahead and, and... take care of that. So I drive it another six months. Oh man, the transmission's going to go out. It's going to cost $2,500 for the transmission. But I think, well, I already sunk, you know, 3000 plus another 500 maybe into it. So I need to just go ahead and do, no, at some point you have to be willing to say, it's not worth the investment to put it into this vehicle. I need to just take the money that I would have to spend on repairs and go get something better. Now, there are a lot of people in business that do this. I worked with a gentleman years ago who had purchased, he had bought, much like you did, he bought a CPA firm. So it's an accounting firm. He bought it. was not really in his area of expertise, but he was alerted by the potential income there, and he bought the business, put everything on the line for this. I went in with him. This was out in the L.A. area. I went into the business with him and looked at everything there, looked at his books, And I said, Jim, his name is Jim. I said, Jim, my recommendation is that we come back tonight at maybe 2 a.m. Yeah, his eyes kind of got big. I said, you know, nobody would be here, right? And he says, yeah, nobody, all the employees would be gone. Nobody would be here. I said, and take out everything that you own personally, your personal computer or whatever, you know, you want, and you lock the door and never come back again. Well, he was mortified. No, my gosh, his name was in the front, front of the business. It was so bad, so overcommitted in terms of lease, equipment, all those things. There was just no way to recover. Well, what happened 18 months later, he filed bankruptcy. When I worked with him, I think he could have gotten out by the skin of his teeth 
and salvaged some things and sold some assets. But as he just, he got, actually he got another, like another 15 credit cards and ran them up to their max in that period of time because he couldn't face the fact of it was better to draw a line in the sand and stop this business, stop this hemorrhaging than to just keep putting money in. So Jeff, it sounds like you're there, but I mean, there's no shame in that. I mean, here's, here's the thing. You could have, so it's $180,000. You could have gone back to school and gotten a dental degree and then discovered that you hate dentistry, the actual practice of dentistry. And lots of people do that. So you got $180,000 in student loan debt. Same thing. Don't force yourself to do that. Find something that makes you come alive when you do it so that you really can attract money and take care of the debt. I mean, that's what I did when I realized I was in a business and things weren't working well. You know, I ended up tremendously in debt, hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. You know, I didn't just keep trying to push that forward. No, this is a sinking ship. I need to get out of here. And it gave me the opportunity in the eyes then to see some new opportunities and to move in that direction. Well, you know what? I think we're going to wrap right there. I've, I've got, golly, these questions. I love these questions. Again, if you got questions, please send it in to me at uh, 48 days. Ask, ask Dan at 48days.com. Shoot them into me there. Be delighted to review them, put them in the lineup for upcoming weeks. Love what I'm seeing there. This song is a reminder. Love this song. Put to us by Todd and Emily, stuck in a J-O-B. Just a reminder, yeah, you don't have to do that. There's too many options out here today. Too many people waiting for your unique skills and talents to come along. And if it's not in terms of getting a traditional job, I mean, that's okay. You don't have to do that. You can do something on your own. It's never been easier to walk into doing something on your own. Once you discover what it is that you really can do to serve God's children well, as we talked about earlier, wow. Create an economic model for that. Hold your head high and do it. And hope that you do have passive residual income coming in. Hope that you can find those ideas where you can do something once and get paid over and over and over again. A lot of you are doing that. You write a book or you create a course or you have an online community of some some kind. I mean, there's so many ways that you can do that today. So don't be embarrassed about that. Be grateful that God's given you the eyes to see those kind of opportunities and do it with your head held high. Well, remember our resource, 48days.com slash ready. If you think that you are ready to explore the idea of uh, being a coach, we'd be delighted to give you more resources and help on that. I'll put in the link in the show notes that takes you to the audio interview that Christy Wright did with Rabbi Daniel Lappin. And uh, we've got other resources you can find there as well. So check that out. Again, thanks for being part of this growing community where we know we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. 